Rough Trade are giving away a free album exclusively to 101 part-time jobs listeners. That's you. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade album of the month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with exclusive bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code 101POD this March and you'll get the Rough Trade Album of the Month exclusive pressing of Masterpiece's debut, How to Make a Masterpiece, on green and yellow swell vinyl, completely free of charge. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store, and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. Don't want Album of the Month, but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using 101Pod and you'll still get the first month free. So don't hang around. This offer is only available in March and limited to the first 150 signups. Go to roughtrade.com club and sign up with the voucher code 101Pod. That's 101POD and claim your first month free. This offer is available to UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. 
All right, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. It's the podcast where I speak to independent musicians to find out how they've got by in an industry where opportunities are pretty thin on the ground. On today's episode, I've got Eugene from GoGo Bordello. I go way back with GoGo Bordello. I remember getting a sampler CD in 2007, seeing them at Reading Festival and hopping in the circle pit around then. I feel like GoGo Bordello, like one of my best friends had a GoGo Bordello sticker on their bass guitar. Shout out Matt Tinsley. Still see him all the time. He could play Maxwell Murder by Rancid. Matt Tinsley could. I was very impressed. And my image of that is the GoGo Bordello sticker. We used to go see them when they played in London. And speaking of which, they're on tour in the UK from next week. From the 4th of December, uh, that's Monday, isn't it? They'll be in Glasgow, then Manchester, Newcastle, Birmingham, Nottingham, Norwich, Bristol, London, Cardiff and Brighton. Uh, that's going to be good, isn't it? Some of those shows are sold out, but if you can make any of those shows, I highly recommend it. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you know what an experience seeing Gogo Bordello live is. And they got a new tune that just came out featuring Bernard Sumner, who produced the record and he plays on the record. Uh, and it's a cover. It's a cover of Solidarity uh, by Angelic Upstart, R.I.P. Menzi, who sadly passed last year. Yeah, there's so much stuff going on in this song. Uh, so much heart, so much legacy, and of course, looking towards the future and what's going on in this world. All the oppression, all the tyranny, all of the austerity, but the love that we need to keep for each other uh, and the family whether we are blood related or not to keep beside ourselves cheers for listening to 101 part-time jobs eugene will be with us shortly i just want to shout out 2000 trees festival who support the show brilliant independent rock festival in the uk in cheltenham just a few hours away on the train from london and next year the gaslight anthem will be headlining hot mulligan are playing manchester orchestra uh, uh, the Mysterines, Gouge Away. That's just a few bands for next year. They're going to keep on announcing excellent bands and artists as we go. Uh, but right now is the cheapest you can get your tickets for 2000 Trees Festival. And if you buy your tickets before the end of the year, then you can get a free refund if you find out that later on you can't go. So get your tickets now to 2000 Trees at 2000trees.co.uk. Independent festival, independent retailers, brilliant bands. You go there, you have a great time and you come home from it feeling satisfied, feeling rewarded, like you've been part of something special. That's my experience from 2000 Trees anyway. And I wholeheartedly invite you to join me there. 2000trees.co.uk Okay, before we get into this chat, I've got Rebecca from Ampolo here. Ampolo is the first all-in-one app connecting a global community of musicians and bringing an all-in-one place to practice, record and collaborate. Until now, practicing has been kind of lonely. There's been technical barriers. These are all things that Ampolo is working to make your life better for. Isn't that right, Rebecca? What's going on over there? Interestingly, we've been having lots of conversations with students and teachers and universities and colleges, and there's this big push of people wanting to use it as part of their curriculum to accelerate learning and change the way that music is taught. You're able to talk to each other in real life within the same project. So forget about jumping back to WhatsApp and emails and things like that. I can watch back your performance and say, that bit was great, this bar needs a bit more practice. So we've been getting feedback that Ampolo is a total game changer for music education and it's so much easier 
using this and using multiple apps and jumping around to communicate with each other. So it's a really exciting space. And Polo, get on it sooner than later. Okay, ladies and gentlemen and people who don't give a fuck, here is Eugene from Go Go Bordello. To, I mean, I feel like, tell me if you're wrong, tell me if I'm wrong, like playing music for you was and is like a, a, a pass to, or, 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 or a liberation, a, a kind of a visa to freedom. Playing music is that vehicle to freedom or, or to work towards freedom. Well, I mean, isn't it for everybody? You know, I mean, it's just more tangibly pronounced here and there for some people and uh when you grow up in dictatorship it's definitely that thing because it's it's a portal you know you you live essentially in a kind of a coloring book where you know any kind of flamboyance is downplayed and subdued and uh you know um and and so the music becomes kind of a instant uh, to go to thing that you know that you just, I mean, it, rock and roll music was capable to uh, infuse people with so much, you know, endorphins and, and, and uh, <laughs> enzymes and vitamins that were not available anywhere else. And a lot of times people in the West kind of take it for granted. But if you grew up on a kind of coloring book, as I said, you know, uh, that, that becomes like a really, really uh, thing to go to anytime you feel uh malnutritioned by the system you know you just go straight to music and uh and you get it done mm -hmm. music does that doesn't it i mean growing up in london I, I really remember the first time i saw a local band and i it felt like i was given this feeling that i would never lose the rest of my life it was like i was part of the club yeah. you know I, I was just sort of filled up yeah you get the uh, exposure to the secret knowledge initiation kind of vibe for sure for sure and you know yeah in, in a strange way uh england is kind of very um as different as it is from anything in eastern europe but i think some of the characteristics perhaps the climate and uh and uh, so, some of the hardships of uh of england as a you know as um as england are kind of there, some some of those like common existential hardships, you know, somehow, and you can people from Eastern Europe can relate to that more. I mean, uh, uh, you, you know, you go to Manchester, and you know, you just which we played numerously, and you kind of mm. see that industrial working class mm. thing. I mean, of course, in in case of Eastern Europe, it's more so and more magnified and it's more drastic but that quality of it is is um y you know and, and you see and you see why great music comes from those places it's just people really trying to color their life out you know and uh mm -hmm. you know and uh yeah you know and there's so huge austerity always, and yeah, people are angry in england a lot of people are angry there's that. I mean, there's a lot of angry people anywhere, but um, music is service to, yes, also to angry people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, 
And, um, but I think that's why we always had such an affinity with, um, you know, English uh, music lovers. I mean, we always had a good appreciation in starting our, with our show, first show in London and Tate Modern, I think it was 2003 or four, maybe. At Tate yeah. Modern? Yeah, that was our first show in London. What? What happened there? Uh, you know, I didn't know Tate Modern had shows. Chaos, Havoc, um, you know, general, um, <laughs> general upset of the apple cart. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, back then, you know, we were very much, um, here's the thing. Robo Bordello was always uh, kind of more than a band. And it was uh, something that was almost partly a band and partly a kind of a situationist, Dadaist happening of some kind. And so when we, because of kind of the rowdiness and the explosive nature of the band, when by the time we're all banned from all the clubs in New York, yeah, a place that kind and of that happened. You were banned. You were getting banned from clubs in New York. Oh yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> well, uh, repeat your question again. That you were getting banned from clubs for for being too for being too excited for having too much fun. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were banned from literally every place in New York. Uh, we had to like sniff out some new places in in uh, you know that were not really clubs um and and that's how in the same time the art scene you know who was unaware of our of us being you know, we're just more like operating on mythology of like this is this gonna be this some kind of happening so they kind of sheltered us for a while and so we played like uh whitney biennale and uh twice and a bunch of other galleries you know to kind of like right. Finding a refugee plan in galleries because they, you know, they didn't have the regulations yet. <laughs> yeah, and so the yeah. word, and so the word spread into uh, somehow we got a call from Tate Modern and, uh, yeah, and, and it's funny to remember because you know there are clubs, there are bands who get banned from you know clubs, but how the fuck do you get banned from CBGB? You know, and we still that. <laughs> we we you pour in the well i suppose they didn't have maybe they didn't have taps at cbgb but what kind of thing would you you know if you when you got written up for that what would they say what would they say why they banned you um i'll tell you exactly because my friend uh was working the sound there at the time and uh gabby molotov he was a singer from a molotov cocktail band he was from romania and you know he was a punk rocker lower east side um uh, you know uh, authentic guy in the movement and he told me exactly how it is it, it was basically because you know i mean cbgb seen it all you know it, it wasn't because of rowdiness on stage it was about a, a kind of a particular what kind of a disorder that was going on in in the crowd because a lot of crowd was on stage with us the band would be like half of the band would be all the way by the entrance and then the people would be still coming with like percussions and you know these drums to join the show into the CBGB blocking the entrance 
and and since they were blocked they were playing outside on the sideway on a sidewalk with us while we were on stage and it was just too too much to handle like you know it was it was just you was, it was the kind of show that was literally defied like any idea of what fucking show is <laughs> you know there's like refugees we, we, actually it's sorry go on it, it, it was a really exciting time because we were just figuring our way out so you know if i meet like uh brazilian samba school guys and, and, and girls who were like hey we like your vibe like maybe we should do something and i'd be like yeah we're playing you know in cbgb's next week so turn up and then like 30 of them would yeah. turn up with samba drums <laughs> yeah. like, okay what do we do now yeah. And that's the spirit of Gogo Bordello, right? You'd, you'd keep on bringing band members. You'd keep on being, you know, almost, you know, a place of refuge. When you talk about there about getting kicked out of clubs, I think of you're as people, as a band, you're made up of immigrants and refugees in, you know, sort of a, on in the real world. And then in the music world, you're the same. You're doing that there as well. It's, uh, you know, the Gregor of Gogo Bordello just, attracts that kind of people you know that are up for they're very adventurous they have a higher than a, a, a average uh, stamina and, and uh, you know energy and, and things like that you know so yeah you know what i mean yeah it sounds like i want to join <laughs> yeah man i mean it's um it's it's there was a lot of times when before before kind of years of touring that was like like warp tour touring or kind of touring that's just very ahead of network and stuff there was a lot of times unless with unless for the touring i a lot of times just wouldn't even know i didn't really know how many people in the band because, yeah you know like even ori or a, a saxophone player at uh, early years, you know, who went on to start his own project, Balkan Beatbox. Um, I think he just kind of turned up for one of the shows and then turned up for a gig and then, you know, like turned up for <laughs> some tours and then he kind of Brilliant. didn't turn out for one of the tours and, you know, and then, you know, went on touring with Balkan Beatbox. It was just kind of, um, you know, it was kind of it was unprecedented in a lot of ways so has that been like that from the beginning you know when i'm i love hearing these kinds of stories of individuality and music and self-expression um obviously is in the music but that self-expression of organizing your own world building your own world creating that rule book yeah and you say okay well like because i i feel like Everyone on this earth, we all have particular things that we allow ourselves to do and equally things that we don't allow ourselves to do. I find it so interesting and very attractive and fucking right on when people allow themselves to draw outside the lines. You talk about, you know, being, being a, a picture book or a, a coloring book that hasn't been filled in yet in Eastern Europe. I mean, allowing yourself, giving yourself the license to do that. Do you remember when you first felt that, when you first could picture that you say you know this is this is me this is this is the life i'm gonna try and fucking live right now yes uh, there was a <clears throat> several uh several things like that and um um i think that it had to do a lot with um playing drums and uh i 
you know, I kind of got into music through almost kind of through backdoor because of my father and he was an underground musician in Ukraine. <clears throat> so I was very well exposed to music, you know, I mean, I've heard, you know, Doors and Velvet Underground and, and, and the Stooges, you know, mm -hmm. and Jimi Hendrix when I was like, you know, two days old. And uh, so... Yeah. Fugazi. So, uh, yeah, there was a great, uh, great, great advantage there. But um, as, you know, the guitars were just, two, three guitars were always laying around the house. But I think that getting drum set together uh, out of different parts of my, my father's brother, uh, garage, he was a painter, but he had remains of his, you know, youth days drum set. He had a hi-hat and a snare, and then uh, we found a cymbal, and then my dad kind of helped me to put together this drum set, you know? Mm. And uh, just getting behind it and going absolutely fucking ham to, uh, you know, uh, uh, never mind the bollocks, here's the Sex Pistols, or Slade record, you know, the one <laughs> with, a, with a fist out, uh, you know. Uh, it was very um, so full of, of uh, I was getting so high on endorphins that it became a, a really, really um, life-transforming experience. That I was just, I just wanted to do that, like, mm. and um, after that, I kind of picked up guitar and more and more. But my first instrument is drums, and and you'll find it like in rock music that a lot of front men who were, you know, very drastic front men and and, and front women, uh, you know, started out as drummers. There, there's a connection. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. the most physical thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's the most blood pumping. It's it's singing or drumming. And drumming, I think, is even more so. So, you know, James Brown, um, uh, uh, um, Iggy, you know, needless to say, uh, Madonna, you know, those are all drummers, you know, originally. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it was playing drums to... Uh, to Sex Pistols and understanding that that is my vibe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just so, felt so shamanic, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And practically, were there local gigs going around? You could you, you started you started a band with friends. How when did you start booking gigs and you know going on the road? You know those those kinds of first formative. First tours are always going to be transformative, right? Because it's, it's yeah. nothing you've ever seen before. What was your first tour? Well, my first tour was already here in the States, but uh, we started playing out back in Ukraine. And uh, as when I was still 14, 15, no, 15, 15, uh, booking, there was no such a thing as booking anything. I mean, it was so clang, clang, bang, bang, and let's get something somebody has some kind of room or some kind of basement somewhere maybe like 20 people will fit in and um yeah a lot of times because of the bureaucracy you know i mean and, and it's Soviet back then ukraine was soviet union so without any kind of permission i couldn't do literally fucking anything anywhere so i remember that we found a kind of a one cool 
person that was kind of sympathetic with us that you know that he was running some kind of a you supposedly for the youth uh, 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 facility you know some kind of tiny room i said can we please have a concert there and he said well we don't have a stage so i can't put it down paper that it's a concert i said well we don't need a stage he goes well to have a concert you need a stage so i was like well okay fuck it we'll build a stage how about that and he's like let that be the way so bring in the fucking right. plywood hammers and fucking start rocking you know <laughs> you <laughs> and we would work. do that you know like the first the first time we ever played we actually had to build this uh you know excuse of a stage you know and and perform and of course it fucking fell apart as we got on it and <laughs> what were the you know when you get to that age of 16 and you know you start becoming a, an adult or or you know you start standing your own two feet two feet in, in what was it like for you yeah. what what opportunities did you have in ukraine yeah. what you know what were you yeah. expected to do um not very many opportunities uh i was looking at the opportunities how to leave uh because mm. yeah you know, uh, soviet dictatorship was a kind of a for a person like me who was like you know into music and my friends who were already say you know being on that path for a while and i've seen you know they they were cult heroes and they were very revered and uh you know but i mean people were like just scraping by and uh they might have li still lived a very bohemian uh uh you know, awesome lifestyle but uh that run was pretty short in ukraine you know and uh <laughs> you know and then and, and typical prerequisites of it you know drugs and all that was just kind of part of it um so our expectations were not very great um but the thing is that um it, it was the art vibe we were so high on the art vibe that we just did it anyway like um you know having a that lifestyle was still a greater payoff than uh you know going being this kind of trolley bus person who just does this and then they go to college and then they go and get a, mm -hmm. a government mm -hmm. job like that wasn't the one i considered for us like we knew it's gonna we, we knew we we're gonna fail that so you know do you ever stop and reflect and, and think back like wow how did we do that um well i mean there is a degree of um you know universe helping out mm. but um and then you know we know how to say thank you to that uh, at the same time you know there is um yeah esoteric way of looking at luck is mm -hmm. different from get lucky it's mm -hmm. a kind of a focused effort and um it's about intention and uh i think that the clarity of intention really has does have a lot of power it's not a myth yeah. so yeah things will align as long as your intention is distilled it's not going to be overnight it's going to take probably might be longer than you think maybe shorter than you think 
mm. but there I, I i am certain that that mechanism that's uh, you know of uh alignment with your intention is definitely out there you know you know i was thinking recently about how you know you can get someone on stage and say that their music isn't really your kind of thing if that person believes in themselves so much and has so much confidence and has this this real like yeah what i'm doing is fucking awesome you get won over by that absolutely uh, it's uh, they when the person feels like that their frequency is very high and uh, people can see that frequency and it's contagious and uh, mm -hmm. they acknowledge it consciously or subconsciously it's it can be absolutely out you know, drastically not your style but as long as through through authenticity and a downright honesty of expression person escalates their own frequency uh, to maximum potential and that just shines right through and that's what we witness when we go and see whatever it is whether it's great ballet or whether it's you know derby crash you know on stage you know as long as they're matching that their personal frequency of uh uh, uh their idea of you know levitation mm -hmm. it's kind mm -hmm. of undeniable it's undeniable with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gypsy punk is 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 the way that you know will always be the strap line beneath Gogol Bordello. Yeah. Did you find your people quite quickly? Because I guess you know in music, you know I'm a journalist. I get PR emails. You know it's about being able to say something in a sentence and describing something. And you know as sad as that is, sometimes quite often it can also help. You know it's like when you're recommending a, a band to your friend, you're like, oh check out this record. It sounds like Minor Threat, or it sounds like yeah. this. It sounds like that. Did you find your people where you could kind of um, bounce off them and you could kind of see yourself through them and, and build the vision of Gogo Bordello in that way? Absolutely. I think that um, if, if, you, if you look through, you know, the, the personalities that, you know, it unites, um, there, there's several building, there's several like stomping legs. So, one of them is definitely, uh, especially in early years, it was uh, knowledge, whether deep knowledge or at least some kind of uh, understanding of, of, of gypsy music, like beyond, beyond uh, uh, you know, a corny idea of it. Mm -hmm. that it people were really... Uh, uh, glued together by appreciation of Taraf de Hajduks, Panfara Chokarlia, just like really badass bands from Eastern Europe, from Romania, you know, from Macedonia, from uh, West Ukraine, where, where that music is really, really rough, 
raw and, and mm. vibrant and and uh, requires degree of virtuosity, which is kind of what allowed us, you know, having virtuoso players like Sergei and Yuri, you know, our, our violin player and an accordion player who were classically trained, allowed mm. us to kind of, um, you know, create a version of punk rock that was not there before. I mean, it's a fucking delusional to try to think that you can do something new in music. Like, it's impossible, basically. And uh, I didn't think that we will be able to do that. I thought we'll be, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a songwriter. I believe in my songs. You know, I, I, I you know, I was working, work, I was toiling away hard on, on the form. And I knew that I could grasp and capture with songwriting alone which is how it started, just uh, Gogo Bordello was started with, kind of was my post-punk, post-hardcore, after a decade of doing that with various bands. Right. I kind of started with acoustic guitar, a storytelling, songwriting yeah. in Eastern European musical idiom. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I was pretty sure that everything has been done and, uh, just being kind of like big fans of birthday party, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, the kind of musical audacity that it takes to create that kind of rampage, like birthday party mm -hmm. does, or or you know, yeah. or James Chance and the Contortions. And uh, I guess I guess our frequency was pretty pretty high on that front. So, where would you find out about those bands? Were, were they stocking those records in the local shop? Uh, well, I I listened to Birthday Party back in Ukraine when I was like 15 years old. So I, I mean, back in Ukraine. I mean, where 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 do you think that you found oh, out about Birthday tape, Party? Tape culture, yeah. Tapes, yeah. and there were some vinyls, but uh, it was pretty, it was unattainably uh, expensive, and mm. uh, mostly tapes, some records, but for underground music, you know. For super underground was tapes, of course. And people would tape off each other and share them and do tracks. Oh, yes, 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 of course. And they were very well curated tapes, you know? Yeah. Like you'd get, you know, closer Joy Division on one side and, you know, Devo on the other. And, uh, yeah, you know, awesome. you'd get, you know, punk and disorder. Well, an education. Yeah, on one side and, uh, you know, GBH on the other. And it was just very, uh, very, um, you know, Cure and Bauhaus. Uh, we... On that DAF, you know, Deutschland, Amerikanische Freundschaft, and mm -hmm. like, you know, I should to know about, and, uh, you, you know, the cramps, like, that was a mm. Sonic Youth, you know, Sonic Youth. Yeah, hell yeah. Played yeah, in the train, yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. So that was, so that you're was pulling from a lot of that. You're pulling from a lot of those worlds. Yeah, I mean, that, in a way, it kind of set the vector, like, for me to go to New York, you know. I mean, it did set the vector. Mm -hmm. So once I got to and what New year York, was that? Sorry, what that? What what year was that that you went to New York? Um, I moved to New York in '97. Okay, okay, a couple yeah. of years before the first Gogo Bordello record. Yeah, 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 and that, but at that time, you know, I was already kind of, I was kind of like, that was a dec my decade of just blasting through like you know, with elect of electric guitar rage mm -hmm. and uh, all that 
hardcore psychobilly uh, experiments. I, I love all that music up until this day, but at that time I felt like I reached some plateau that something needs to, different needs to happen. So circling back, what you were asking, the cool thing about is that when we went on first tours, I could actually tell by reaction of people that we were doing something drastically new and different. Mm. It wasn't, uh, 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 and, and, and I, it was kind of beyond gratifying. I mean, people were coming out and going like, what the fucking fuck? You know, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, what the fuck is it? It's like a punk hardcore band with a, with no bass. <laughs> <at the time. laughs> and fucking these like guys were like top notch orchestra pit guys who just like <laughs> do about just about any fucking arpeggio or uh and so fluently good in eastern european chips and music like they literally <laughs> fucking crawled out out of the you know crack in the, in the land in Carpata mountains you know <laughs> so we were able to blow people out with that for and, and put put our uh put our mark as hey this is some kind of a very rough simple Symphopunk hardcore, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and and experiment from there, yeah. Well, moving to New York in the nineties, uh, the late night, it was very different to how New York is now, right? Uh, is, you, you read about how it was a bit dirtier, that there was um, maybe more ways to kind of get by and kind of live in the cracks of the underground. Is is that true? It's true, and it's also true that it is still like that if you are, you know, nowhere to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, for for me, for the New York that I'm in, it hardly changed. For right. uh, you know, our our internal folklore is kind of like, you know, the way our our, our kind of group of people, our, our circle, describes itself as New New York. And uh, and the new New York is basically old New York, <laughs> and delete all that crap that happened in the middle. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So the yeah, it was it was awesome when I moved here. And the fucking thing is that people back then were already telling me, "Oh man, it's not the same. You missed it all." <laughs> yeah, it's 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 rather has to do with uh, your own perspective, and uh, you know, and after. I missed it all, yet another fucking whole chapter of Lower East Side Madness began with Gogol Bordello and uh, it became like a, uh, a, a, you know, a center of many different scenes and, you know, Latin American immigrants and, you know, Italian, French, uh, you know, Scandinavian, Eastern European. It also became like a big scene where immigrant uh, punk rock was just blazing and gypsy yeah. music was thriving so but the late night but the late 90s and the turn of the century was definitely very cinematic i mean it's um bands were very cool we would play with you know we would play in in with bands like you know speedball baby um you know, know big lazy uh, psychobilly kind of pretty uh you know, very John Spencer blues explosion kind of uh, influenced cool. bands. 
uh, uh, Speedball Baby. Ganga Dan, you know, was very cool um, band okay. that okay. yeah featured um, James Clavunas from uh, the Bad Seeds. Yeah, it is, yeah, he works at the record, uh, the record station. Sorry, the radio station that I work at, Soho Radio. Yeah, who knows? He, Jim yeah. is awesome. I felt like he was one of my um, somehow New York relatives when I got there. You know, I just felt like Jim Sweet. was my New York uncle of some sort, and <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah. he produced their first record, which was awesome uh yeah i was like well okay i didn't fall off too far from the fucking tree (laughs) you know yeah and what were people doing then you know this podcast isn't all about jobs but i mean i i am like in my life of music i mean jobs is a big part of who we are whether we like it or not you know we're always going to have an internal battle about working you know getting the money where where we need to get money and how much doing that activity affects our life what were you doing at the time what what were people around you doing to get by <laughs> yeah um well actually um I, I i did pretty um pretty laborious things sometimes to get by and uh, some of them were just construction and uh, that mm-hmm. started my, my construction resume started <laughs> back in italy when i was in immigration you know so um you now there we basically that talking about getting by that was fucking getting by <laughs> yeah. because if yeah. uh, you know if the, if the intersections were in rome the good intersections that were you know profitable <laughs> you know if they were you know you'd go down there and you know rock the squidgy business you know yeah. i was like six, 16 17 at that time and uh if that if that intersection if you got there too late say it's 6 a.m you know that'll be already like uh you know uh a group of albanian gypsies who already took it yeah. and uh, there's you're not gonna get them out there too soon <laughs> they're pretty tough you yeah. know so you'd turn you know, up you'd, you'd want to get there before anyone else you you know want to be like i'm here to work i'm ready to work get me on that van so, yeah so you know there was a lot so when that was not available, you you know you just go to on uh, and do some kind of. Uh, There's a lot of opportunities to get some <laughs> construction work done in Italy, also in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? When I first got yeah. here, and uh, I started off by basking, but not regularly, just basking here and there whenever I needed another hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you'd be surprised, but basking is very. Uh, complicated game <laughs> you know i was aloof to it i just arrived to fucking uh you know i just like went to 42nd street and start playing you know two minutes later you know a guy walks up to me like licking his fingers from a sandwich and going you know throwing away his <laughs> crumpling his paper and going who the fuck are you and i was like uh, can i help you and he was like so this is my corner I was just having a lunch. You better take the fucking train all the way down below Canal Street and start right there, buddy. You know, maybe in 10 years, you'll wait, wait, work your way up to fucking 42nd right. Street. I, I was see. like, are you fucking... So I like, I like walked around the block and I was like, all right, I'm not going to do that. So walked around the block, start there. Another guy walks up and he's like, and who the fuck are you? 
<laughs> so the hierarchy there is pretty rigid. <laughs> and um, so yeah. I was like, all right. And things like that, you know, I mean, carpentry, you know, as I said, I, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, people who come from Ukraine, they usually have some um, you know, kind of rudical skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find somebody in Ukraine that doesn't have like relatives back in the countryside, you know, it's like, Okay. Uh, there, there, there is a, I mean, there are all cities, city, city, fucking idiots, city, it's course too, but a lot less of them than, uh, you know, in, in other parts of the world. <laughs> and and uh, so, you know, carpentry, you know, you know, kind of cow wrangling, people did it at least once or twice somewhere along the way they kind of know how to <laughs> how to build a cow at least once you know at least like they get close to it somehow like somebody yeah. showed them or they, yeah. yeah so carpentry was a kind of one of the things that uh you know as i said we build it stages and all that stuff so skill stays you know <laughs> stuff like that you know um just obscure it's stuff coming- like that yeah. Coming from that, you know, when you first got your first, uh, you know, 500 bucks or a few hundred bucks from playing music, you know, that first time you thought, okay, like the, the, the amount of money getting paid to play music versus the amount of music you're doing side hustles and carpentry and bricklaying work and busking. What was that kind of transition like for you? What, what was that? Were, were you, uh, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty mad thing, right? Having this thing that you do for pure passion and you think I may never get paid for it. And then there's a period of time, long or short period of time, you know, two months or two years or longer where it's like, okay, I need to start thinking of myself as a musician that I, I, I'm going to get paid. Okay. You know, what was that like for you? Um, I didn't really get paid for a um, very long time even while being with Goldberg Allen. I think the first time, the kind of experience that you referred to as, okay, there, there was a chunk of money that I've never seen before. <laughs> that simply happened because uh, during one of the shows on undisclosed location, <laughs> I got my face smashed very uh, brutally. And there was a situation there that, you know, I had to... Um, I was part of and uh, on stage and uh you know and uh, you know the 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 promoter was kind of freaked out and you know that this is going so out of control so he just he lost like, tons of money in cash so which is like don't talk about that and you know and fucking just wow you know what i mean but it was just a rowdy <laughs> night that spun out of control and um but, but it had nothing to do with any royalties or fucking publishing <laughs> that came all much later <laughs> much later you know basically went home with like you know like a pillowcase full of money with my fucking face bleeding all over it <laughs> wow wow that's that was the first time that was the first time you got a big word <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and See, signing to Cyron Dummy. Yeah, yeah. And getting into the, you mentioned earlier, like Warp Tour and that network and Side One Dummy. I can see how big a label they were at the time and, you know, still are in their, their back catalogue. Was, was, was that a big part for, of you and Gogo Bordello? Like being like, okay, you know, this is, this is our jobs now. 
Um, no, I, um, you know, my uncle is a painter, so he babysat me a lot. And, uh, you know, I kind of grew up around that world a lot where the line of work and uh, a pursuit mm. and uh, kind of this alchemic pursuit, because he was also a sculptor and worked a lot with metal and, you know, and, and scrap metal and, you know, doing different things out of it and melting glass and you know, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I never, uh, you know, he, as, as, as any good artist, he was ex- he's extremely obsessive and uh, he stays with it, with the process. And uh, just kind of growing up in that vibe and seeing that his day is 24-7 and his pursuit is 24-7, but he's kind of living it and breathing it and loving it. You know, mm-hmm. that was kind of vibe, I guess, I internalized. So I didn't really ever think of it as work, and I still don't, even though it is. Right. Uh, yes, it is a definitely a task, and you know, I, I, uh, I think the discipline—it's like a disciplined pursuit, you know, mm-hmm. where some parts mm-hmm. of it are cathartic, but especially with working with you know, you know, with labels and and some producers that just had kind of a extra discipline (laughs) like rick rubin you know you know they that that was kind of probably the closest it got to like being like a very hey like if you're inspired that's great but if you're not inspired like we still got to deliver (laughs) yeah which is um which is i think is um in ideal is, you know, you kind of want to avoid that, but mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. I was up for the challenge yeah. and, you know, and, and deliver we did, you know, I kind of, it kind of was like, by the time I was just kind of had experience of cranking out material and writing songs that I did feel like, hey, I would even do exercises for myself like this, like, Here's five topics. Five slight topics. You know, write five songs about those things. And then toss them, you know, if they're no good. You know. Yeah. Kind of that. And I love those kind of, I love that kind of uh, yeah. self-training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eugene, there's so much I want to ask you about, but we don't have too much time. I'd love to speak with you again down the line sometime because I'd love to hear about your whole life in music. Thank I you. really want to talk to you about uh, about Solidarity, the, Angel- yes. the Angelic Upstarts cover, and Bernard Sumner is on there. Yes. Um, I mean, tell us Absolutely. about it. You know, we started off this chat talking about punk, um, angelic upstarts must have been in the mix there for you. You know, how did how did this come about? What was the what were the sort of first motions of this track? You know, I'm glad you're bringing it up uh, because we are coming to UK with this single coming out, and um, and it's a kind of a, you know full circle around to do this extremely for us meaningful collaboration with um bernard i mean i'm a long-standing joy division fan i mean yeah. actually it just happens that <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Awesome. Besides it, having it here, it's also all over my uh, my wardrobe. And, um, you know, I think that it's a kind of speaks for itself that this song of solidarity written by Mansi uh, and Angelic Upstarts back when Poland was going through their breakaway from uh, Soviet bloc, Gdansk mm. revolt. Yeah. For people in Poland to hear that affinity and that people way the fuck over there are giving a fuck about it and people uh, are, are supporting them, feel that solidarity was so crucial that, you know, and now time, you know, Poland and UK being so instrumental helping out Ukraine in this, uh, you know, mm under this terror assault, you know. And that song just kind of bubbled up. You know, actually my girlfriend brought it to my attention. She's like, you remember that song, right? I was like, yes, you know. And uh, as I re-listened to it, I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, talking about, talking about uh, universe bringing things together, you know. My girlfriend pulled up the song. I mean, I always loved Angelic Upstarts, you know. I know them very well from back in a punk and disorderly compilation days, you know. That's how I discovered them. And I always had a real knack for real songwriting besides just being righteous, you know, an awesome band. And um, so, you know, then the first time I, I met Bernard was, you know, we played with New Order, I think, about 10, maybe 12 years ago and out in Poland. and. In, in Czech Republic on festivals. And so, you know, I kind of had my everything I ever wanted to know about Joy Division moment with, yeah. with Steve <laughs> uh, and uh, Bernard. But, uh, you know, under these circumstances, we were doing an event for Tibet, free Tibet. Um, and I, and uh, I told him that we had this idea of re recording the song. And uh, I was just really um you know moved by his instant response was just he was just like hey um that, yeah, it, what people in your country are demonstrating is just it's just kind of defies like human potential and uh, he was just so um yeah his solidarity was just so tangible mm. and uh, yeah so we we made this song you know we recorded it kind of in a way that it can go uh, it can go kind of uh, different ways kind of rock and synth and heavy heavy synth and 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 uh and punk and uh you know i was just the input that bernard brought it was Besides vocals and besides the arrangement, but the version that he produced, mm -hmm. it was uh, we we were pretty much in tears, you know. It was it was like aside from being art and just a great meaningful collaboration for great cause. There we have a great song by Angelic Upstarts, you know, along with with, with Neil from Angelic Upstarts also performing on mm -hmm. a song. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's kind of has all the components that make it super symbolic. It's about connection. 
you know, people from working class who are coming out, intellectuals from working class who know what their mission is in life. They are there to struggle for sure, and they're gonna made it, make it through. Like all of us, I think that the working class backbone is a kind of unifying factor here, you know? And uh, so it turned out beautifully. Um, it has all this symbolic components, but it's also mm, very uh, handmade, you know? We talked, there was, we talked, we connected. This was done, you know, also with the uh, uh, help of uh, Zachary Allen Starkey, uh, a guy who uh, has a ZAS who tours with New Order and um, kind of supervised the project. So we're very excited for people to, you know, chime in and enjoy it and understand its symbolism, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to hear it and they're going to do they're going to inform themselves of Angelic Upstarts. You know, there's going to be a Joy Division, a tangible piece of music, you know, yeah. from Bernard. I know Bernard does, does, does a lot and he's still active, but, you know, it's, 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 it, it crosses those worlds, which is a, a magical thing. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, my friends in Ukraine already nicknamed this track, the ones who heard it, uh, Blue and Yellow Monday. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You know, I mean, hey, it, it's really. I mean, I, I really love the, the 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 heavy synth version that Bernard created and and uh, mixed and produced, and just his input was awesome. And there are several different versions. They're drastically different, but I think it's it's really soul felt. You know. Hey, Eugene. Thank you so much. Cheers for the time. I really appreciate it. Yes, man. Thank you so much. There he was. Really great to chat with Eugene. We hear more about his story, hear about more of his tales. I can't believe that one of Gogo Bordello's first London shows was at the National Portrait Gallery. I cannot picture that. I'm going to dig out some photos of that. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can go back and listen to over 300 episodes now that we've done a 101 part-time jobs lots of punk rock lots of interesting music just scroll down and find someone you like that's the way it works right if you've enjoyed it enough to subscribe please subscribe and leave a review or a rating if you've got 30 seconds all of that stuff massively helps me in the show to keep on getting brilliant guests like eugene and beyond I'll be back next week with episodes with Speed, with Lauren Hibbard, with Benny from the Gaslight Anthem and more. So check in with me next week. Subscribing is the best way to do that. And I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.